It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. For Australian mate, it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian Made, of course. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Um, plenty happening on Ashes News. Steve Harmison will be joining me in a moment from uh, all the way over there in the UK. Let's hope he's a bit warmer than what we've experienced here in Australia over the last few days. It's a massive hour ahead. Harmy's gone head-to-head with uh, Johnny Bairstow. Just uh, he and Johnny having a, having a chat in the chinwag. We'll also hear from Jimmy Anderson and Australian coach Andrew McDonald. Some interesting selection issues as we lead into the World Test Championship and also the Ashes. And talking the Ashes, a man who loved playing in them, played in two series and was very successful in them, was Damien Fleming. And he'll be part of our SEN team over there in the UK for this Ashes series, not on the field, off the field, on the radio. And we look forward to chatting to Flem a little later on. But it's my pleasure now to say to uh, Harmy, very good morning to you, my friend. Yeah, good morning, good evening. It looks as though it's a bit warmer where I am than where you are. It's sun shining, it's blue sky, but the, the highest it'll get will be about 15 degrees here in, in the northeast of England, but I'm sure that's the middle of winter in you, in, uh, in Australia. Well, I've, I've gone out in sympathy for you tonight because I've got the <laughs> scarf on and I've got the uh, the heavy coat on thinking you might join me, but it's as, uh, as slinkily as I've seen you dress since we've been chatting <laughs> over the last month. Yeah, I played golf yesterday in a T-shirt. First time in about, well, first time in the British Isles for about four or five years. But no, we apparently we're going to get a good summer. Um, and fingers crossed that we get dry weather because we've had you know six, I think, round of championship first class matches this this mm. summer. This week, probably the first time we've had a result in most of them because we've been, I think, somewhere like Gloucester have lost 10 full days of of cricket and first-class cricket so far this summer. So we've had a wet summer, but we'll put up with that if we're going to get a dry rest of the summer for the Ashes. Well, I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure about uh, one of your fast-bowling uh, compatriots or beauties from Australia, Josh Hazelwood. I, I, he's come home from the IPL, and I reckon he's a, he's a little sore. He's played, you know, only sort of last three series. I think he's played one test in, in each of those series. He, he's been struggling to keep himself fully fit. Mm. Uh, that, that's a bit of a question mark for the Aussie. I rubbed my hands together the other day. I was watching the news and there he was, Ollie Robinson, with a bit of a limp. <laughs> I thought, look out, look out. They've, fall, they, they, they've fallen off the perch, but he's okay. He's okay in the sense that the ECB have put a statement out this year. The scan says he's okay. I think he's got tendon problems there. And I would still have a, a concern because Knowing, you know, we're fast bowlers, Simon. We know that everything hurts once you get into a series and once, you know, the, the sort of first test match goes, the soreness and the stiffness. So no fast bowler players 100% fit all the time. But a year is so crucial to England. When I seen that headline, I'm like you. I was, wow, this is mega. This is huge. This is this is bigger than Jofra Archer. Uh, Ollie Robinson would be a bigger loss to England than Jofra Archer would. And that sounds ridiculous because Jofra Archer rolls at 95 mile an hour. But Ollie Robinson has has largely has been a large part to why England are 10 wins from 12. They're on the momentum that they're, that they're on um, because of the way he's bowled. So it's good news in one, one sense that the scans say there's no sort of structural damage. But I think we all know, our fast bowlers know, that yeah, any, any sort of foot problems, ankle problems, um, you and if you go into the series like that, and if you're trying to manage something, five test matches in six and a half weeks, um, I think there's still a, a there's still a bit of a concern on Ollie Robinson because I think Simon England were looking at Robinson to probably play in all five test matches. Mm. Well, you would think so, and the form he's been in, 
at the start of your summer is is quite extraordinary. I mean, you couldn't want him in in better cricketing form, and also he looks so much fitter than when he was here in Australia last time. Huh? Yeah, I think it takes a man, a real sort of a big man, to look at yourself in a mirror and go, "Well, I'm not doing this right now. I'm not. My lifestyle's not great." Because a lot of professional sportsmen, ego side of them, be told, you've got to change your lifestyle, you've got to get in the gym more, you've got to get fitter, you've got to work harder. Some professional sportsmen go, well, I'm doing all right at the minute. I'm playing for England. I'm in the spotlight. Everything's going rosy. Why do I have to change? And I think Ollie Robinson probably looked at himself and and had asked himself all them questions. And I think it takes somebody you know, with strong character to change and go, well, even though I am playing at the top level, um, I'm not as durable as I should be, not as fit enough, fit as physically fit as I should be. Um, and I need to change. And he went away. Well, he got injured because of that, his lifestyle. And he changed. And for the better, come back, he was more durable. He went to Pakistan, bowled longer spells. Um, and for me, we've seen a different side of Ollie Robinson since he's come back, and that's the side that England really need if they want to if they want to win the Ashes, which is great. But unfortunately, this little niggle um, could hamper whether he plays all five games because for Sussex so far this season, he's been in real top form. Yeah, Australia will be hoping to um, uh, to uh, I, I suppose see a change of form for for David Warner. You know, mm. he, he's his test career travelling overseas is, is nothing like his, his career in Australia. And he's really been challenged in England by Jimmy Anderson and, and Stuart Broad over the journey. Jared Waitley uh, hosts our, our morning show here at SEN in Melbourne. And uh, he was lucky enough today to get Andrew McDonald, the Australian coach, on. And he spoke to uh, Andrew McDonald about David Warner and, uh, and his selection and uh, all things going forward into the UK. And here's what Andrew McDonald had to say to Jared Waitley this morning on Davey Warner. I think he's one of many, many players. I think every selection is really, really critical for us to get that right, whether it be the bowling formation, whether it be the, the batting, um, you know, even where we put our fielders, who's at third slip, who's at gully, all those little things are going to have a say in the Ashes series. So, yeah, we're optimistic with what Dave's got left. We've picked him in the squad um, and we feel like he's going to play a really significant part in the Ashes and the World Test Championship final, and, and that's why he's on the plane. So we think he's got some good games left in him. So what have you said to him around? So he's clearly playing the World Test Championship. What have you said to him beyond that? He's an important part of that squad, um, and if he wasn't, then we would have had a clear checkpoint after the, the first Test match or the World Test Championship going into the Ashes. That's not the case. We've picked our you know squad for the first two Ashes tests as well, al- along with the World Test Championship. So... He's clearly in our plans and he's ready to go and we're in constant contact with him. He knows exactly where he sits with us and and internally we're really settled around what we need to do and, and how we're going to go about it. How much of that is asking him to defy a pretty clear history in England and a disastrous last tour at the at the final throws in his career? I think you can draw on some positive experiences in England when 2015, I think it was eight half centuries, averaging mid-40s. Um, so he's had success there. It's not as though he hasn't had success in those conditions. Um, so we're backing him to to draw on everything that he's got. I, I think leading into the Boxing Day test, the Doomsday people are out there as well. Um, he's got still plenty to draw upon. We saw early in the IPL as well, we saw a trend up in terms of his form there. He started slow. The doubters were, were out again around his game, and then he was able to to rebound and respond. So uh, he's in a good headspace. Spoke to him as recently as yesterday, and um, he's ready to go, and he's really excited to get back into camp and see the boys in form. Yeah, really interesting to um, hear from Andrew McDonald. I, I, I like the, the, the sense. And I, I think it's a bit of a, a quid each way, homie, I mean, and he says he's an important member of the squad. You know, the, the, that's different to an important member of the starting lineup or of the team, you know, he, so he's, he, he's, uh, I, I think playing that answer that he'll be you know, peppered with constantly until that first test match, first Ashes test match, he's handling it well. Yeah, very well. And it's interesting to say a member of the squad and, and member of the team I said a couple of weeks ago, we in the Ashes cricket, we all like the pantomime villain. And David Warner's the pantomime villain, isn't he? 
Now he carries a lot of baggage that goes with the Stuart Broad and England versus Australia. Every every Englishman wants to hear uh, David Warner. The Australians want to hear Stuart Broad. I just think if if David Warner wasn't going to be part of the first test team, I don't think Australia would have brought him because I don't think they would have wanted the sideshow that goes with the potential of of the uh, of that of, of Warner. It always makes me laugh when people go. Well, he had a poor tour last year, last time. He had a poor, poor time the last time over. That was four years ago. There's a long, there's a lot of cricket being played in between that time. So Warner's a Warner's a, a proper player. He's, he record stacks up against anybody and it's getting off to a good starts in, in these Ashes series. And if you do that, then um I'm not saying the rest is easy, but I think you you've got to you've got to draw on the experience that David Warner's got. Australia have got some interesting sort of selection conundrums because they've got players who are either out of form or not quite fit enough. But they've also got some players who are banging form and are playing in English conditions that if the World Test Championship, Warner, Hazelwood, one or two of the bowlers look out of sorts. Matthew Harris has just got 100 last week for Gloucester against a very good Durham bowling attack. Michael Neese has been unbelievable so far this season for Glamorgan with both bat and ball. Um, and you've got Sean Abbott over here. So there are people who can step in if the the the, the A1 squad is, is undercooked and you put Warner in that category. And you look at um, Cameron Green, 100 in the IPL in, in recent days. I mean, some of the guys are heading over there in, in excellent form. We, we touched on Ollie Robinson a little earlier and, and his injury scare. Um, uh, Josh Hazelwood, I think, is, is in exactly the same category. We're, we're just not 100% sure where he's going to be at come first test time. And you just uh, mentioned the name Michael Nessa. Now, you know, not only has he been in great form of the ball, I think he, he pumped out 100 as well, mm. first class 100, which you know, we don't probably expect uh, from him all that often, but um, he's going to be, I think, an integral part of this tour one way or another. I know he's, he's joining the squad for the World Test Championship at the Oval. Will he join the squad for the whole of the Ashes campaign? I'm not too sure. But Jerry Whateley also spoke to Andrew McDonald, the Australian coach, about Michael Nessa this morning. I think we've got the flexibility any time. Um, we feel as though it's almost like a home summer. Um, we usually pick four quicks for the home summer. We travel around and we can add players in when we need and see fit. So, as I said, we've got Michael and, and Sean over there, and, and we feel as though they can be added in any time, depending on if you know any information or new information comes to us or shifts. So we, we've got that flexibility with them being over there. Um, you know, George has made a clear checkpoint after the second Ashes test um, to. to to reassess the information that's in front of us, um, you know how we're going, how the bodies are tracking, uh, and any, any potentially anything that we have missed. Um, but I, I think we've got really good coverage in that 17-man squad plus the players that we've got there. So I wouldn't imagine that we'd be drawing on more than that. If we were, then it would be due to injuries. And uh, Josh Hazelwood, I suppose, I mean, is right in that category that uh, you know, if there's an injury within the squad, um, you've got guys that can step up and there's a guy there that's, um, very much in form that could step straight into the role. Absolutely. It's like, here's what's a free hit. We know how good he is. We're desperate for him to be part of our our A1 squad. The, the Stark, here's a Wood Commons, Lion combination with Green. That's our number one. We've got no, that we don't want to go away from that. But, and it's a big but, if they're not fit, we've got players who are banging form in these conditions who have been playing for a long time. Um, I think this is the the part of, I think, a lot of England fans' frustrations that first-class cricket being allowed to be utilised by Australia, and this is the one that is going to be a benefit because it was all about Steve Smith. You know, should we let Steve Smith come in? Should we let Steve Smith play for Sussex? But the actual understory of this is of, of the question marks of the bowlers, the likes of Nessa and, and, and Sean Abbott, um, there could be a bigger influence in the squad than what Steve Smith was coming over and getting batting practice. For Australian mate, it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison.
Welcome back to Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Some of your best work this week, Harmy. Uh, the old mates network was out and in you <laughs> went. And uh, Johnny Bairstow, great to see him back in the in the English colours. Uh, a, a, an enormous talent. Uh, had a uh, you know, freakish injury, but having him back for this Ashes just adds some further intrigue to it. Yeah, he was on top form, was, was Johnny. He's Look, he's a, he's a wonderful talent. Um, he had the freak injury. I've seen his, the scar on the ankle. It, it's a good and He made a good job of of, uh, of injuring the ankle on the golf course. Um, it's the right decision. There's been a lot, Simon, there's been a lot of nonsense talked over here about folks and about Besto. But for me, when you've got, he's already kept wicket 49 times for England. He's got 500s at number seven. England have got a, a four number 10s at the bottom end of the order. Um, I've said it many, many times. Which one would Pat Cummins want to have coming out at number seven? Would it be Ben Ben Folks or, or Johnny Besto? And I think the answer would be Folks. So, um, and he's kept wicket in the last two games for Yorkshire. So I think it's a no-brainer that Johnny comes back into the group. Just before we hear from uh, your chat with uh, Johnny, when you say the England's got four number tens in their lineup in your Helsingin days, were you a nine or a ten? I was an 11. Simon, I was a number 11. I left it. I'm, I'm so proud. Yeah, I, obviously, on Talk Sport, we get described. Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. Yeah, Two-time county championship winner, Steve Harmison. Former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. The one I like the best is, when retired, eighth eighth in the in the leading run scorers in the history of number 11s. That's an achievement <laughs> for a bowler. <laughs> but uh, you shouldn't have you know all those uh, cricket balls on a stand. You should actually have a bat on a stand somewhere the other Ab- track. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm still I'm still proud of the record. I think it's I think Scott Taylor, our producer, brought it out the other day. It was like a batter who's got the the highest average at any ground, and I think Steve Smith's got. Average is about 131 at the ground. And then me, Steve Armisen, at the Oval, 128. Um, and then Sir Donald Bradman at like 126, at, I think the SCG, which is like, wow, I can't believe that. <laughs> I'm ahead of oh, Donald Bradman in the batting stat. <laughs> oh, oh, let's hope you made more sense with uh, with Johnny Bairstow when you caught up with him. <laughs> How difficult has the last 12 months been for you watching what's been happening? Yeah, it's been very difficult. I was obviously delighted with how the majority of last year went uh, up until, unfortunately, I got injured. And then, uh, yeah, to see the lads obviously being so successful um, out at the World Cup was unbelievable. I couldn't have been uh, prouder of the lads. It was quite emotional, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, uh, and then, obviously, to see the boys do so well in Pakistan, New Zealand, it's been, it's been fantastic to to watch but like anything you want to be a part of it you want to be a part of that group you want to be winning games you want to be experiencing uh, those good times with uh, with your mates that you've had for a, such a long time on a personal note how difficult is it, has it been sort of getting over what was you know, an accident a freak accident but pretty bad injury yeah it's uh, it's not been the easiest and look it's going to be one of those things uh, people have said oh you're limping or this that and the other well Unfortunately, that, that limp's going to be there for a little while. So, And everyone doesn't walk in a straight line. You don't walk it symmetrical. I know that. I've seen you walk plenty of times. <laughs> um, but look, it's part and parcel of, of life. These things happen. Uh, and you can look at them in different ways. Uh, you can grit your teeth and crack on. Um, and that's exactly what I'll be doing. Six test matches, summer, coming up. You're in the, you're in the team. People forget you've kept wicket 50 times for, for England throughout your, your illustrious career so far. Obviously, the headline, it's huge headline. Um, it's not clear of what you say to that headline, but you know, how comfortable do you feel going back into this England side, having not kept for so long? Look, I'm, I'm happy with, um, first of all, being back in and around the lads. That's, that's something that uh, all I've wanted to do and with all my rehab. Uh, over the last X amount of months has been gearing up to try and be in a position to be available for selection. I worked very hard through throughout the winter and um, coming into this uh, this summer and obviously the last few weeks being back out there with the lads it's been really enjoyable so um, I've really enjoyed being back out keeping wicket 
it's uh, it's something like you mentioned that I've done for uh, for a while. I've kept for Yorkshire since 2008 or 2009, uh, whatever it was. So uh, I've always been of the opinion of, look, I just want to play in the team. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter what position, but I want to be taking the field for England because I'm incredibly proud um, to be walking out there with three lions on your chest, uh, your first cap on your on your head. Uh, with 10 other lads that are taking the field uh, to represent your country, uh, whoever that opposition might be against. Do you feel as though you've got unfinished business with this, this Baz ball? Because for me, you, for me, you, my opinion is you started it. Trent Bridge, after tea, Johnny Bairstow doesn't get that 100, England don't win. This, this Baz ball, no, this, this team doesn't start the way they started. Do you feel as though you've got unfinished business with the way this England team's playing now because you, for me, you were the one that started it. I'm not sure about unfinished business. I'm excited to be back around the lads. I think that's the that's been the big thing. I'm I'm really excited to to be back around the boys and back around that group that's been doing some really special things over the last twelve months. You rewind a couple of years back and people were talking <laughs> about um test cricket going to four days and there wasn't necessarily that real excitement around Test cricket, and I think that the last 12 months and the way in which um, we've played the game has brought a lot of smiles to people's faces. Uh, it's brought a lot of enjoyment. We've seen crowds on day five. Uh, we've seen games going to day five. We've seen some fantastic cricket played, and this summer's going to be nothing different to that. Um, since you played well in that 2005 Ashes, uh, which inspired certainly myself. Um, and a lot of other guys that are in that dressing room right now and hopefully this summer will be one of those summers that we're able to inspire um, those young kids to go down to the cricket club, the teenagers to aspire to get into the county sides or the academies, the lads in the academies to get into the county first teams and the guys in the first teams at the counties to want to be pushing for further honours to be playing for England and I can't really wait for the summer to begin. Yeah, just about to say that, just finally on that, how you, has there much been spoken amongst the group about how excited you all are to play these five test matches? I know it's five test matches in six and a half weeks, which is going to be hard work physically. But from a country's point of view, how much is it going to be, how you spoke about how enjoyable it's going to be? I think it's been enjoyable for the last 12 months. Um, but it's we, ashes. We, we, yeah, we haven't, we haven't got together yet. Mm. Um, we actually haven't got together as a group. Um, and I think that there'll be a lot of hype around the Ashes there always is there's always a, a buzz around the country there's always a buzz around cricket uh, when the Ashes are in town um, and to be involved uh, is a great honour to take the field is a great honour and look if uh, if we're excited about it the public are excited about it uh, hopefully the listeners are excited about it as well um, It's no, there's no better place to be than um, excited and looking forward to a fantastic summer of cricket ahead uh, great to hear from Johnny Bairstow there with uh, with you, Harmy. And um, you, you always knew he, he had great pride in playing for his country. I, I think everyone at that level has enormous pride. But, you know, he, he's one of those guys, he, he doesn't hide anything. He, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Yeah, he does. He's a typical Yorkshireman. He, he's somebody who think when he, he, he goes out, there's a there's a... Fine line with Johnny. He, he, when he gets pumped up too much, he can sort of get out of control a little bit. But when he's in the moment of, in in the sort of that zone moment, we've seen last year when after tea he had that unbelievable innings against New Zealand. When he's on, he's very difficult to bowl at. And when he when he gets going, he, he finds areas to score in where there's no fielders. And that for me. A lot of people wanted him to come and open the baton, and I could see that. But I don't think Johnny likes batting at the top of the order. And knowing Johnny as I do, you've said kept wickets for Yorkshire since 2008. I played briefly with him in 2010, and he, sorry, 2011. And he's a he's a, a little bit of a complex character. That if Johnny doesn't want to do something, then yeah, Johnny doesn't do it. He can't get his head around the fact that. England took the gloves off him because of seen him as a as so influential as a batsman. Now, trying to bat him at the top of the order didn't work. He batted number three, didn't work. So for me, it was a non-starter at the, at the top of the order. 
as a wicketkeeper, batter, he could be dangerous, especially coming in if the bowlers are tired. So, yeah, you know, this guy is box office. He's a proper, proper cricketer. Um, and I think he's in the right role now where we keep a batter. Yeah, talking about proper cricketers, so yes, Johnny Bairstow is, and so is Jimmy Anderson. And uh, it'd be great to hear from Jimmy here on the road to the Ashes. He caught up uh, recently, the last few days, with uh, our own Scotty Taylor. I feel like everyone's really excited about it. Probably the the biggest thing is it's, it's been, what, a couple, couple of months, maybe three months since the New Zealand series in the winter and um, we were all excited just to get back together and, and, and play some cricket again because we've we've created something really special at the minute. The environment in the dressing room, the style of cricket that we're playing, it just feels like it's something that, you know, it feels like a really good place to be and um, I, I just hope we can carry on that that style throughout the summer because, yeah, as you say, the the Ashes is a is a probably a slightly higher uh, pressurised sort of series than, than any other we've experienced so far. Um, but I think if we can keep playing the, the way we have been, then then we should be uh, uh, in a good place come the end of the summer. Being as part of Brendan's team in the last year, you've played under several head coaches and over the years. Is that been the biggest drive to prolong your career even further, just to keep being part of this this fun that you're having? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, th- I feel like it's been a, a really enjoyable sort of 12 months, 18 months maybe. And... I think as long as I stay fit and my bowling's going well, then I want to be a part of it. And if I can, certainly if I can feel like I can help the drive the team forward and keep winning games of cricket, you know, I want to be around as, as long as possible. So yeah, it's been a, a really good, good year or so. You've played in several Ashes series over the years. What does that five letter word Ashes mean to you? Well, I mean, it's obviously uh, the, the biggest series that we, we play in as England cricketers. Um, it's the one that we all want to win, but to be honest, I think it's, you know, the, the, as I talked about the sort of environment we've created, we, we sort of take the result out of it and just focus on trying to be positive, trying to entertain people. I think that's really important. And I think I just hope we can carry on doing that this summer, make sure people go home happy, having watched a, an amazing day of cricket or an amazing game of cricket. So, um, Obviously, the the Ashes means that a little bit more because of, you know, the history of it and the, the rivalry, I guess, between Aust- uh, England and Australia. So there is that, but but for me, it's it's just another series trying to trying to win win games of cricket for England. Johnny talked about being inspired by the team in '05, and and that's the way he got into cricket. Are you conscious of that even more so nowadays? When there's a lot of talk about the future of Test cricket, but if you guys can put on a show and and get more people into the game. Have you spoke about that within the dressing room at all? Or are you conscious of that? I think just naturally we're, we're conscious of it because that, you know, you you always remember as a player that there was a time that you got into the game and why you got into the game and the players that you tried to emulate. So we, we're very aware of that. And we're aware there's obviously a little bit more attention around the Nashes series. So that's, I, I think, why... You know, you, you look at the 2005 Ashes, 2019 Ben Stokes at, at Headingley. Those moments are more prevalent because of of the the hype that's around it. So yeah, we're we're. That, I think that's part of the reason in behind trying to play entertaining cricket. You know, we want to inspire the next generation. We want to make we want to show kids that Test cricket is fun and you can have a great time doing it. And I've had 20 amazing years doing it. So I just hope that. There's, there are kids out there, and even if it's not this Ashes, whether it's a few years down the line, and they, they, there's someone that they they don't want to be, whether it's Ben Stokes or Stuart Broad or Joe Root or Ollie Pope, you know, I just hope that they're, they're, we are doing our jobs and inspiring the next generation. Yeah, he certainly is, uh, Jimmy Anderson. Uh, he's inspired a couple of generations already, and uh, I think he's mm. probably uh, got a few more to come because he, did, he he's endless, really. What um, he, he continues to achieve. I um, mean, he, he's uh, he's so good for the game of cricket and and for Ashes series. Watching him coming in bowling the first over, um, you feel a bit undressed in future Ashes series if he's not. Yeah, absolutely. And he's. I was with it. I, I was there when he he, he did he, he did that interview because was with Johnny and Jimmy at the same time. So, and he was in good form talking very positively, which is not like Jimmy. He was smiling, which is not like Jimmy. Um, and he looks as though he's really enjoying this this 
this environment that he's in. And it's interesting what he said there. When he said it's not like it is, it's just another series. You know, he mentioned about the pressure in the ashes. But I think what he was meaning there was us as an England cricket team, if we go onto the field and be as positive as we can be, and we can entertain the crowd as we have been doing, then the result will look after itself. You know, it comes down to performance um, of the individual players and the way the individual players have performed for England have been you know, unbelievable in the last 12 months. So I think that's what he's trying to say there is, we go on a field, we enjoy ourselves, we have a good time, we entertain, crowd goes home happy, we'll win cricket matches. And I think that's what's been happening over the last sort of year and a bit. And Jimmy's been an integral part of that. And will he finish at the Oval? I don't know. I really don't know. I've got a funny feeling Jimmy carries on. And it's crazy to say because after the Oval, he'll be 41. For Australian mate, it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes. Thanks, of course, to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you as usual. Now, SEN, oh, what a few months SEN's going to have. They're going uh, over the UK to bring you every ball of this Ashes series and the World Test Championship final. Of course, that's at the Oval prior to the Ashes starting. And a man who is going to be part of the whole lot, the call team, synonymous with SEN, synonymous with Channel Seven, synonymous with world cricket, is Damien Fleming, who joins us on Road to the Ashes right now. Flem, a big welcome to you. What an intro. What an intro. That's why you're a legendary <laughs> captain of Victoria. Hey, Harmy, good to see you. And 48, always good to catch up with you. Yeah, um, and yourself. And yourself. I remember, Simon, I remember a very young man going over to Rod Marsh's Academy in 2000, I think it was, and we played. We we got a game at the at the unbelievable chance to play at the MCG, and a certain Mr. Fleming came and played second team for Victoria because he come back from it from an injury. So it was uh, it was it, we were we were over the moon to play against an absolute Ashes legend in a in a in an MCG with a hundred thousand seats with about four people in. So, I mean, so having said that, Harmi, what he just said then, Harmy, before he starts to you know, overwhelm our interview here, he called me 48. <laughs> Harmy, when Flem and I played together for Victoria, Flem batted, I, I would hope, no higher than 10. He might have got to nine every now and then. <laughs> I used to hover around five and six. Now, um, yeah. Flem's colourful test career came up with some, you know, some very, very good scores. Um, my top score was 48. His was far greater than that. Oh, and he now refers to me as 48. Which I thought <laughs> was quite nasty. I think very, very nasty. I mean, what was your highest test score? Uh, 49. Um, Monty, oh, Panasar, no. Mon Monty Panasar ran me out. He hit the, I hit the ball so straight to up. AB. He hit the ball straight to AB de Villiers and shouted, run. And I went. So as we were walking back, I said to Mont, what did, you, what did you run for? And he said, I thought he was a wicketkeeper. He was a backward point. I said, he's one of the best feelers in the world as well. So Tom you've got a got higher score run. than Scoob, and um, <laughs> I scored 23 extra runs. In a so I'm the only one here that raised their bat in the Nash's Test match. Is you did. Right? Yeah, you Quite did. Right. Quite right. And, and I was robbed. You had Monty. I had bloody Glenn McGrath. <laughs> I only needed 15 more minutes and he bloody tried to slog Robert Croft out of the ground, second ball. <laughs> Flem straightening this up uh, because uh, I'm the one copying Flanders, so I'd like to straighten it up. <laughs> this Ashes series, I mean, the build-up to it, there's always massive build-ups to an Ashes series. It, you know, throw the Baz ball in and the injury concerns, I mean, this is fantastic what's going on here. You, know, you, you just can't wait for June 16. Yeah, it's a cracker, isn't it? Just And full credit to England. You know, they're trying something different, baseball, um, but they're a little bit of a contradiction because they're baseball with the bat, but they're 
more a defensive bowling unit, the traditional line and length, letting the juke ball work for themselves, bit of cross seam and, you know, using the both sides of the wicket. So it, it's sort of like the matchup of Basball batting, T20 batting against a highly credentialed Australian team. Is that sustainable over five test matches? And then also... We know James Anderson, Broad, Robinson's in for a big Ashes series as long as he's fit. Um, you know, I think, you know, how is Australia's batting going to cope against them? Because I've got no doubt Marnus and Smith can make a lot of runs, Travis Head, Cam Green, but they don't want to be walking in at one or two down straight away like they were in 2019. So I, I'm intrigued, Harmy, just by the pure matchups. Um through this Ashes th- series, and then also that that trend of, of, of how well the baseball batting will go against our attack. Yeah, spot on. When it comes to the, the, the terminology of baseball bat and baseball ball, I think in New Zealand, England were looking to try and keep their their fast bowlers for the Ashes. Wood, Archer, knowing the IPL was on the horizon, but I think that was the grand plan. Ben wanted five fast bowlers, six fast bowlers, and you wanted at least two of them to be 90-mile-an-hour bowlers. Now, they're injured, um, and we're going to go back to the old guard, and that's what the old guard is. You know, Broad, Anderson, Robinson's got a bit of a niggle. Wood will play. Um, he's actually, his wife's about to give birth to Deer as we speak. So um, once that happens and it's out of the way, and fingers crossed for Sarah, everything's good, he comes into this series with a, a spring in his step. Now, I want to question and throw it back on that front is England... You know, they've got some injury concerns. Australia have got some players playing some fantastic cricket and first-class cricket in England. And I've said this quite a few times, Flem, that I think England are the best team in the world at this moment in time. Australia have probably got the better players individually. But when you go into that World Test Championship first test match, do you go in with the best, best players? Or do you go in with the best players who are performing well? And I look at first-class cricket at the minute, and you've got Michael Nesser, who's... Bowling unbelievable. Sean Abbott bowling very, very well. You've got Marcus Harris batting very, very well. You mentioned the top of the order. I think England's top of the order is vulnerable. But I also think if England want to win the Ashes, they get into Australia's top of the order. And that's how they do it with Warner and and Kawaja. Yeah, certainly so. But my gut feeling is they're going to go with the, the 11 that they'll play in the first Ashes Test match. And... I think it would be only an injury to, to Hazelwood that might see Ness come in, who's on, on fire in county cricket. But they'll, they'll, want, they'll want to win this Test Championship. They'll, they'll, they spoke a lot how overrates cost them last time. So this is something that, you know, they, they want, want to win badly. And it also gives them a nice run into that first Test match. So my gut feel is Warner will open with Kawaja, um, if Hazelwood's fit, he'll play. Um, if he's not, I think Boland would play against Ness um, anyway. Um, so I, I think they'll keep it pretty simple. But I, I'm, I'm hearing that they've certainly encouraged Ness, um, Harris and also Hanscom to be over playing county cricket because for injuries, but also for form because it's five test matches. And particularly with the batting, um, to be able to bring in some batsmen who are in form in county cricket would, would be an actual, absolute luxury. So I think they'll go pretty standard first up, but if things don't go to plan, I wouldn't be surprised to see players outside the squad play in this Ashes series. Glenn, you, you, you talked a little earlier about um, some support for, in particular, Larvis Jane and, and Smith and Head in that upper and middle order. Now, that obviously comes with the openers being successful. Usman Kwadza has been a, a revelation there over the last couple of years. But where do you sit on the, the Warner situation? And if things do go awry and you have a Marcus Harris peeling off run, runs to Glockman, what, what, what do you do? When, do? when do you make that change? You know, how do you measure how important that is? Well, going back, I, I would have picked a right-hand opening batsman as as someone um, as a backup opener to Quadra and Warner, so I've always felt like Cam Bancroft is just a little bit short of Test class. But 
I saw some refinement in his um, his um, technique over the summer. He had a very closed technique. Um, which led open to outside edges and also the ball angling in. But he looks to have um, got a straighter um, plane of the bat these days. So to go in with four left-hand opening batsmen, Harris and Renshaw there as well, I thought, what happens if Broad, Anderson, Robinson get into a groove against our left-handed top-order batsmen? You know, where's the change-up? You know, what are we going to do about being able to play a right-hand batsman? So... I would have done that initially, but um, I've still got Warner ahead of Harris despite the form because otherwise, why pick him? There's no use going to um, a younger player and having an older player as the backup. I think start with the the more established players and if they get themselves out of form, then you bring in the younger players and, and you move on from there. And Flem, we've talked about this series and it's going to be a fascinating series. It's going to be a great series. Um, but the Ashes, you know, there's all bad balls, all injuries, there's all everything that's going with it. But you can play one way in a normal bilateral series, but that five-letter word does wonderful things to the mind. I can certainly vouch for that because I did it in Brisbane. But when you talk about the Ashes and what the Ashes means, what does the Ashes mean to Damien Fleming and experiences you've had in it? Yeah, well, obviously, I didn't play as much international cricket as you, Harmy, but for me, the test matches that I played, and, and Scoob as well, I, I just thought Ashes were just twice the pressure of any other test match, just because of the tradition um, built, you know, the original two teams. Um, even the Thursday before, sorry, the Tuesday before day one at the Gabba on a Thursday, you know, signing 500 bats, all the English press are coming over. Um, as you know, that running in for the first ball at, at the Gabba, it's so loud. Um, so for me, I always just thought it was something that I always wanted to play in. My first Ashes series that I remember were Botham's Ashes, 81. Um, and what a series that one was. So I, I just thought um, to be able to play in a couple of Ashes series, pour the drinks in 2001. Unfortunately, I couldn't get a gig on that one. Um you know, it was just um, another level compared to playing against other nations. And in the two series I played at home, you know, there was they were pretty good England teams, 94, 95, 98, 99. But once again, as we know, it's the bowlers that dictate test match wins and you've got to get 20 wickets. And really, when I look at those two series I played with, the reason we dominated really was we had Craig McDermott and Shane Warne in 94, 95, who I think, both took over 30 wickets. And then in 98, 99, we had McGrath taking over the fast bowling mantle. Warney was injured for the first four tests. And then Stuart McGill took 27 wickets in four test matches. So it was about the bowlers. So I see it no differently here. Um, it'll probably be that the, the, as much as we've got baseball batting, I think it'll be whichever bowling attack dominates more that'll, that'll dictate who wins. Let's just give you a little reminder, Flem, while you're talking about bowling attacks and and uh, those attacks winning test matches. Let's take you back to 1994, the MCG, pretty much a, a packed house. Uh, what are your thoughts after you listen to this bit of audio? Here we go. Fleming took the last one. Merv Hughes before him. Boot. You won't see many better catches at forward short leg than that one. The Aussies are all around and have a look at that. Fleming alongside Warren there, the last two to take a hat-trick for Australia. What a moment. Well, he got his hat-trick. You were joyous when he got his. Um, you had your own little opportunity too, Flem. Well, he dropped my bloody second hat-trick, didn't he, Warney? Shocking. I... I what, what the audio doesn't say, I'd got one in my first test, so I, I did say to him, mate, do you really want to know how to get a test hat trick? Because I've already got one, <laughs> all right, just to calm him. <laughs> but um, so I talked him through it, went with the stock ball, um, and then five years later when I've got the chance to get two, he bloody drops it, doesn't it? But um, but the late Warney, as we all know, um, in my time, in a famous team, 
he was the most famous team by uh, famous teammate by by tenfold, and he had so much charisma, um, and he was always going to get the hat trick that day. And for me, it's one of the highlights of my career. You know, for Warney to get it in front of his home crowd. Um, Booney was actually on his 34th birthday, you know, took the catch. And it was the first time we'd sang the song underneath the Southern Cross I'd stand when I'd been in the 11. So, you know, for me, it was fantastic memories. But I, I remember everyone ran in, but the umpire, Steve Randall, hadn't given it out. So I'm the last to run in. So I waited for Steve to put up his finger. So I was the last one in there to celebrate. Um, but you know, just once again, Warney wasn't going to do it anywhere else but the MCG, you know, a place he owns. Um, and just another little milestone for the for the great man to tick off, wasn't it? Yeah, and you talk, talk us through your hat-trick, Flem. You know, we talk about Ashes hat-tricks. We you, it's, a, it's an unbelievable thing to have as a hat-trick in Test Match cricket, but talk us through yours. Well, unfortunately, I don't think there's any footage. It was in Pakistan, Harmi, and, and, and the player I dismissed later got Dan done for match fixing. So we're just still, that my teammates are still wondering whether it actually counts. Um, but it's in Wisdom, boys. So I'm taking it. Yeah. So a bit like a bit like Stuart Broad not not wanting to count the Ashes series because of COVID last year. You're a bit skeptical of yours because of because of, because of a bit of match fixing. Complications later on have put it into question, Steve. But as I said, is that a little wizard in your background there? If it's in there, I'm taking it. Um, but but for me, just to be able to play, as I go back to the Ashes series, um, you know, and to win both of them, you know, and we were lucky. We finished it up pretty early. I think we were singing it by the third test match in those series. But from an English perspective, I actually helped England win two test matches um, in Adelaide was a famous victory for England. Devon Malcolm bowled as fast as anyone's humanly bowled. Like day five, Adelaide, it's slow, it's keeping low. And I remember I walked out to bat, Steve Waugh's middle stump had flown by about 30 metres and Big Debbie, you know, arching back, that slinging action, I just remember going, no back lift, you could get hurt here. And he ran through us. Um, and then in 98, 99, three-day test, Boxing Day, like that night, myself and Colin Miller, uh, we're, we're trying to work out where we're going to celebrate, where we're getting drink cards, Star Bar, then the Crown Casino. An hour later, we're out there batting, and Dean Headley runs through us, and England win within that three days. So no celebrations, no drink cards. <laughs> a couple of important points for this Ashes series, whichever way it goes, who, who, are, the, who are the guys from either side that are the key ingredients for those teams to have success? From Australia's perspective, you know, I, I think Steve Smith's going to have to score a lot of runs, him and Marnus, but the player I'm most excited to, about um, is Camp Green. You know, that 100 in India... I know he didn't bowl a lot over there, but six foot seven, bowls 145 kilometres an hour, bowls a natural outswinger. He's going to love bowling with the Duke delivery uh, ball. So, you know, can it be a massive breakout series for him, like Freddie Flintock did in 05? Um, and from England, I'm actually going to go the all-rounder, the man who's been a match winner in Ben Stokes. You know, I, I don't think under baseball, you know... I, Stokes, you can't do Baz ball unless the captain and coach both embrace it. And 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 Baz and obviously Ben are, are well aligned and they want to go that way. Um, has his game uh, regressed a little bit? Possibly. So can he get it back up to that vintage 2019? He's been a wonderful Ashes player. Can he still come on and get handy wickets? Um and he's batting. Sometimes it looks for me, he, he's he's fully embraced baseball, but maybe he needs to give himself a little bit more time with the bat because we know if captains have bad ashes series, you know, it can impact the whole team. So I, I think it's a real big series for both all-rounders in, in these teams. 
Glenn, been fantastic uh, to have a chat. Uh, look forward to hearing your dulcet tones um, right across the series uh, on, on SEM. We, uh, we know and uh, you've already let us know that uh, you're looking forward to getting over there and uh, bring on um, June 16, I say. Yeah, can't wait. Let, let everyone know Harney's got a higher test score than you, 48. <laughs> <laughs> I'll catch up with you over there, Harney. Yeah, look forward to it, Glenn. Catch you later, Matt. Thanks for coming on. You're on me, you two. Uh, we will. Maybe Don't worry about that. <laughs> for Australian mate, it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmison. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you uh, on Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Hummy, look, you know, I usually enjoy doing this program with you, but you know, I'm now feeling sick. <laughs> the first thing I want to know, how did you get an average of 126 at the Oval, which is above Don Bradman's, which you confidently said to us uh, with great pride a little earlier in our program. How the hell did you get an average of 126 at the Oval? I was out once, I think. That that the uh, sorry, it was 131. I've been told oh. by Scott Bill, 131. So that's 131. Was Bradman 126. Pardon? Was Bradman 126? I think Bradman was 126 at the SCG. So oh. it was the highest average of a player at a certain ground. So I think Steve Smith's got the highest average at 136. I'm not sure which ground it's at, um, but. He's, he's had, but mine was at the Oval, so 131 runs at the Oval, out once, ran out by Monty Panasar, 49, on the comeback game against South Africa, and it was it was hilarious. Hit the ball into extra cover, go for a single. Monty's looking at the London bus, wondering who's coming on that. And then I was like, come on, Monty, I'm on 49. And hit the ball straight to A.B. de Villiers, and which, at which point me and Monty are standing holding hands in the middle of the pitch. And they'd be devilious. So the stumps down. And as we're walking off, Monty's gone, Oh, sorry, Harmy. He says, I didn't think he was a big one feeler because he's a wiki keeper. Mm, it didn't make me feel any better, but at 49 in Test cricket, I was happy with it. Monty's mind might have been wandering a little bit in the team meeting with the <laughs> best fieldsman in the world. And <laughs> Monty's mind. I don't think Monty's mind ever got to a team meeting, to be honest. I love them to bits. What a fantastic character. But the great late Shane Wong was absolutely 100% right, not even having spent one minute in a dressing room with Monty. He didn't play 51 test matches. He played it, He played one test match 51 times. <laughs> Brilliant, man. Uh, brilliant stuff, uh, Harvey. Great to, great to chat with you again this week. I, I, it's going to take me a while to recover from what I've learned um, what I've learned today on this program, but I'll do my best. And we want you to ask us questions uh, right through the build-up to the Ashes series on our social media. Head to SEN Cricket on Twitter or Instagram or head to at cricket underscore TS on Twitter or at TalkSport2. So that's it for this week, Army. Uh, been great catching up. Look forward to doing it all again next week. Absolute pleasure and look forward to it. That's it for Road to the Ashes this week. We'll be back next week as we get closer to that first test at Edgbaston, June 16. That's uh, when the first ball will be bowled in this Ashes series. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo.